Thank you, Matt. Good morning again. I, I want to add my thank you to everybody who volunteered at Easter. It was really awesome to see how quickly the setup happened and how quickly the teardown, by far the fastest in my three Easters here. So thank you again for all that you did, all those who volunteered. I also want to point out the word rescued behind me. If you were at our Easter service, you'll recognize that as something that those seven people held up at the end of a, a song. It was so powerful to, for them to share their stories with us. And this is our reminder that we are living in the wake of Easter, that we are continue to be rescued in order to rescue other people. And so this is going to be our reminder for about the next month, that, that we can still kind of live in the spirit of Easter as we are in the Easter season as a church. Well, today I want to introduce a new series, and I want to do it by playing a game with you. This is a game that I play sometimes with my family around the dinner table, and truth be told, my kids will sometimes roll their eyes when I suggest that we're going to play this game. As pastor's kids, uh, you can expect that sometimes, I, I, I like to do trivia with them at the dinner table, and they like the trivia, but when it's all Bible-related, that's when I start to get the eye rolls. <laughs> So this, but this is a game that we have fun with, I, I think, most of the time. It's called Old Testament, New Testament, or Not in the Bible. So here's how it works. I'm going to give you a quote, and then you have to call back to me and tell me if it's in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or it's not in the Bible. It's okay if you get it wrong. People at the other services have been getting them wrong. It's, it's okay. Um, no perfect people, just like Matt just said. So here we go. Let's, let's give this a try. Here's the first quote. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. What do you think? Okay, I'm hearing lots of Old Testament. Okay, let's see if that's... Yes, congratulations. Some of you are like, wait, I thought that was a song by the birds. (laughs) Turn, turn, turn. That song actually borrows the words from Ecclesiastes 3 in the Old Testament. You can check it out today if you haven't read it before. Okay, here's another one. To thine own self be true. Not, okay, not in the, you guys are good so far. Here we go. Not in the Bible. Does anybody know who said this? Shakespeare, yes. It sounds very King Jamesy, though, doesn't it? To thine own self be true. But yes, it was Shakespeare and Hamlet that, that wrote that. Okay, here's, here's the next one. My breath is offensive to my wife. <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> All right, well, you know, everybody's afraid to even say, so let's just put it up there. All right, that's from the Old Testament. That's Job 19.17. Job's giving a whole litany of things that have happened to him, uh, unfortunate things that have happened to him, and that is one of them. Okay, next. In the beginning was the Word. I'm hearing old and new. Let's see. New Testament, that, that was a trick question. The Old Testament begins with in the beginning, and, uh, but then it continues, God created the heavens and the earth, and John 1.1 1, 1 in the New Testament begins with in the beginning. John did this intentionally so that it would draw, keep us in mind that, okay, this word that he's about to talk about, this Jesus, is the eternal word of God and was there at creation. So that's a good one. Okay, we got two more. As a dog returns to its vomits, so a fool repeats his folly. <clears throat> okay, 
A lot of Old Testaments there. I think you guys got it right. You did. And uh, that actually describes a fool quite well. That's from Proverbs 26.11. And uh, I'll give you partial credit if you did say New Testament because 2 Peter 2.22 does quote a portion of that proverb as well. And then finally, this one. God will never give you more than you can handle. Hmm. Both? I don't know. Let's see. Not in the Bible. This leads me to the title for our new series. Our new series is called Not in the Bible. And we are going to talk about some various phrases that people quote all the time that many people think are in the Bible that actually are not. And we're going to start with the one that we just mentioned there at the end. God will never give you more than you can handle. This is one of those verses I hear people quote all the time, except it's not a verse in the Bible. This is something that we're going to see what the Bible actually does say about this, but that exact verse or those exact lines are not in the Bible. So let's look at what the Bible really does say. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning, actually we're just going to read one verse right now, verse 13. And it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so here in God's word, we see this promise that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And that sounds very similar to God will never give you more than you can handle, but it's not identical, is it? So before we talk about the differences between those things, let's just spend a little bit of time in this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Let's look at some of the other phrases that it gives us. First, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. You know, sometimes I wonder if I'm the only person who, who's tempted in the way that I'm tempted. Sometimes I think, man, other people, they probably just can't even understand the pressures that I face. But the Apostle Paul who wrote these words, he says, temptation is part of being human. It's common to us all. The temptations that I face, other people face as well. We're all lured in by things. We all have things that just draw us and attract us. And temptation is everywhere. I probably don't need to tell you this. You know, during our significant sacrifice here during Lent, if you're a guest with us today, we we always, leading up to Easter, during the season of Lent, we encourage everybody to give something up, and then we put that money aside, and, and, and we then donate that money to Life Water. And this year, we raised enough to build at least three wells, if not more, and so we're really excited about that. But we give these things up, and so I gave up all desserts, and I made sure that I said, and chocolate, so that I didn't try to sneak some chocolate in and say, that wasn't a dessert, it was chocolate chip pancakes, or it was a mocha. And I'll tell you what, the temptations that I faced started immediately. We had a meeting the day after Lent started on Thursday, And I was with a bunch of other pastors, and somebody had laid out chocolate candies all over the entire table, including Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah, exactly. And then lunch came, 
and they brought out the tray of cookies and placed it on the table. You would think with a group of pastors that you would be safe from temptations, but that was not the case. It was a hint of what to come. For over 40 days, every time I went somewhere with a family member, they wanted to go to the cookie shop. Or if I went uh, out to lunch with somebody, they wanted to get a dessert at lunch. It was, it was crazy. It was relentless. But I'll tell you what, the light and temporary temptations that I faced during the season of Lent are pretty small compared to the larger temptations that you and I can face in our lives. Those things that just have such a huge pull on us and can have such devastating consequences when we give in to them. Now, I should probably note, as, as we're talking about temptation here, that, that in this passage, this word that, that's translated temptation, it, there's some debate on how you're supposed to translate it because it can also mean testing. It can also mean trials. And so how do we translate it in here to really capture the meaning Well, when you begin to look at the context, it begins to become really clear that Paul is talking about temptation in this passage. In the beginning of chapter 10, he he lays out a bunch of things that happened to Israel when they followed what Paul calls their evil desires. And so verses 6 to 10, leading up to this verse today, they talk about how Israel participated in idolatry and immorality and complaining and testing God. And then he lists the different ways that that they had consequences because of those actions. And Paul is warning his readers here about falling into the same trap. He says in verse 12, So if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul says that Israel fell because they gave in to those things that were attracting them, that were pulling them in. And he says that they serve as models for us, those situations and those circumstances, models warning us not to do the same things, not to, to be really careful in the face of temptation. And so for those facing temptation today, th- this is really what this passage is talking about. There's a very important reminder in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, and it says this, God is faithful. The original text has this in such a way that the word order is emphatic, and it puts the emphasis on the word faithful. It says, faithful is God. God is trustworthy. He is entirely trustworthy in our lives. Have you ever had to put your trust in somebody that you didn't have a lot of trust in? That's not very fun, is it? One time, I, when I was first in ministry, I went on a middle school retreat with a bunch of middle schoolers, obviously. And uh, while we were there, I was staying in a cabin with seventh grade boys. And we were told, you need to do a trust fall with the members of your cabin. If you've ever done one of these, you know that those can be a little scary. They put us up on a stump that was about five feet tall. And each one of us was supposed to climb up on top, cross our arms like this, and fall straight back into the arms of our cabin mates who were standing in two lines facing each other with their arms out like this. Well, the students started going one at a time, and we started and we were doing really well. But then it took a little while. There were about 10 of us, and the students started getting distracted. They started kind of playing jokes and making fun, and it became really apparent to me about halfway through that I was catching about 90% of the weight all by myself. So then I was supposed to go last, 
Yeah, and I, so I, I climb up on that stump, and I turned around, and I gave those guys a lecture about focus and about paying attention. And then finally, I went for it because I thought it would be a bad example if I didn't. And they caught me about this high off the ground. They just completely caved, and, and, but they stopped me before I hit the ground. I'm not sure that I would, now they're probably all older, they probably outweigh me. At that time, I outweighed all of them by 50 or 60 pounds. I'm not sure I would trust them to do that again. But you know who is trustworthy all of the time? God is trustworthy all of the time. And God, he's trustworthy even when we're not. He's, he will not get distracted like those middle school boys did when, when something else comes along. God is trustworthy even when we're not. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. His faithfulness does not depend on my faithfulness back to him. It's not circumstantial. It's not conditional. It's always there. Which is important for us to keep in mind as we continue to read 1 Corinthians 10.13. Because it says that when you face temptations, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The God who is trustworthy in all that he says and does promises that he is going to give us an escape route. He is going to give us an exit strategy whenever we are faced with temptation. So the question for all of us is, are we looking for it? Sometimes it can just be way too fun just to stay where we are, even if staying where we are is eventually going to kill us. God gives us an escape route. He's not doing this to ruin our fun. He's doing it to help us avoid those things that are not going to be his best for us, that are going to hurt us and are going to hurt other people. So are you asking God to reveal his exit strategy to you? Exit strategies can have a whole bunch of different ways that they present themselves. There are different types of exit strategies. Some are as simple as a declined invitation. We just say no. Others can be things like entering a recovery program. Sometimes an exit strategy requires dramatic action all at once. I love the story in the Old Testament of Joseph. It's a story of a man who lived with integrity even in some of the hardest, most difficult circumstances. And at one point in his life, Joseph was a slave in the house of the captain of the guard for Egypt, a man named Potiphar. And one day when Potiphar was away and no one else was in the house, Potiphar's wife came to Joseph and she came on to him really aggressively. And do you know what Joseph did? He ran. He ran as fast as he could out of that tempting situation. Sometimes the exit strategy that God gives us is to run from the thing that's tempting us. God will always provide a way out. So all this brings me to the key phrase for 1 Corinthians 10.13 today. The one that says that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. This verse says that God's faithfulness is bigger than any temptation that we face. You cannot be overpowered. That God will provide a way out. You don't need to let that thing gain control over you. 
This is what 1 Corinthians 10.13 teaches. Can you see how that's different than the other phrase we're talking about? God will never give you more than you can handle. You see, this teaches us that, the Scripture teaches us that, that God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But it doesn't rule out the possibility that we will face things that feel like they are more than we can handle at times. And you know, telling somebody in crisis, God will never give you more than you can handle, is not always helpful. Because what it does, it can be actually quite upsetting to somebody who's reached the end of their rope, because what it does is it tells them, either, if you can't handle your circumstances, either you are weaker than everybody else, or God has not followed through on his promises to you. Either way, a person is left discouraged and with less hope. Now, let me say that most people, when they say these, this thing, they, they say it from a place of comfort, and they want to be encouraging, and it's authentic, and it's real. But this statement that God won't give you more than you can handle doesn't provide what people truly need. Perhaps there's something else that God wants us to learn when we face circumstances that just seem completely unbearable. As I read through Scripture, I see a number of people constantly, over and over again, who got more than they could handle in life. In Exodus chapter 3, God visits Moses and tells him, I want you to lead an entire nation out of slavery. And Moses says, who am I? people aren't going to listen to me and and they're not going to believe that I came, that that you sent me. And by the way, I don't speak so good. Maybe you should send somebody who speaks more gooder than I do. (laughs) The task was more than Moses could handle. In the Old Testament book of Judges, we find a man named Gideon who was called to go into battle against an oppressive regime that had had oppressed God's people for seven years, the Midianites. And when he starts, Gideon has 32,000 men on his side. And the Midianites have 135,000. But then God says, 32,000, that's too much. I'm going to reduce this more. And he whittles Gideon's army down until he has just 300 people left. 300 versus 135,000. That sounds like more than Gideon could handle. In the book of Daniel, Daniel is sealed into a lion's den. And he spends an entire night there with these, with these lions who were hungry, and he had nothing to defend himself with. That sounds terrifying. And it was also more than Daniel could handle. What about Mary? Mary was a teenager when the angel of the Lord came to her and told her that she was going to have a child, even though she wasn't married yet. And that later on, after this child was born, she was told that on account of the child, a sword would pierce her own soul. That's more than any mother can handle. Then you have the disciples. After Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus came to them and he said, Go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. There was no airfare. There was no flights anywhere. There was no internet. There, were, there weren't telephones. This was a huge task. 
that God began through them, and it was more than they could handle on their own. Even Paul himself, the person who wrote 1 Corinthians, talked about being given more than he could handle. In 2 Corinthians, another letter that he wrote to the same place, look at what he wrote. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Let me give you some context here. The, the province of Asia was a Roman province, and it's basically the western half of modern-day Turkey. And the capital of, of the province of Asia was a place called Ephesus. And Paul spent quite a bit of time in Ephesus, and he faced some real resistance there. In fact, there was a time when a huge riot broke out on account of what they were doing. And Paul says that what he and his companions experienced was far beyond their ability to endure. God gave them more than they could handle. Why would God do that? Well, look at what Paul writes in the very next verse. Verse 9. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Here's what I want you to know. There will most likely be times in your life where you get more than you can handle. A financial crisis, a crisis in a relationship, a health crisis. There may be good things where you get more than you can handle. God may ask you to take a big risk. He may send you out on a mission that you're like, this is way too big for me to do. There will be days when you say, this is just too much. I can't do this. I can't take this. And I believe that it's in those moments that God says, great, now we can do something together. I believe with Paul that God gives us these moments in our lives so that we would stop relying on ourselves and start relying on the strength of the God of the universe. They give us opportunities to say, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. When we face circumstances that are too much for us to bear alone, it doesn't mean that we're weaker than everybody else, and it doesn't mean that God has not delivered on his promises. It means that God is giving us the opportunity to trust him more, to rely on his strength and not our own. So what crisis are you facing? What hardship? What thing are you enduring right now that just seems too much to bear alone? Are you ready to give that thing over to the God of the universe? Are you ready to trust him to give you the strength that you could not come up with on your own? I believe that God is giving us a great opportunity in these difficult times that we go through in life to find a strength that we didn't know was there, and it's his strength alive in us. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for giving us more than we can handle at times. I have a really hard time saying that when I'm in the midst of it. 
But Lord, I can see not only in my life, but in the lives of others here at Highlands and the lives of people in Scripture, that when you give us more than we can handle, that you do, that's when you do your greatest work. You are the God whose power is made perfect in our weakness, because that's where you shine through the greatest. And so, Lord, in our trials and in our hardships, may you give us strength. Instead of trying to go it alone like we are so apt to do in our culture, may we acknowledge our need for you, and may you work in ways that we just uh, are amazed by. I thank you for everybody here this morning, and I pray that you would give us all hope and trust and faith. In Jesus' name, amen.